look at um, a few different thoughts about our Lord Jesus Christ. These may be thoughts you've never heard before. Maybe you have. Uh, it was interesting, though. I, I shared uh, probably half of this last uh, Sunday after doing the presentation in Yanjibup as well. And uh, on Tuesday, I went for a walk in the afternoon. And as I do, whenever I go out, I pop the earphones in and I, I listened to a podcast, and it was a Pastor Phil Haddad in um, Adelaide giving a talk. And blow me down if he doesn't share the same scripture and touch on the same point. And I thought, I've never heard this given before, and there he was talking about it. So uh, it was just interesting the way the Lord works. John chapter 1, verse 1. You're probably wondering, what's he mean? I haven't given you the title. The Humanity of Christ. Is what I want to talk about, the humanity of Christ. Um, In verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Um, You read those few verses there, and it's hard not to get excited about our Creator our Saviour Jesus Christ, who was there with the Lord God in the very beginning and uh, brought things into being by the Word, the spoken Word of God, produced. And yet today we have, as we went out on the street right now, we would encounter people who'd say, it's just a fantasy story, the Bible, that uh, it evolved, uh, there was no creation event, God was not involved, there is no God, and words to such effect. And yet, as we read these few verses, uh, we're being reminded of how it did come into being. The truth of the matter is that God spoke the word and things happened. Creation took place. All things, we read in verse 3, were made. The word made, dunamahi, means to come into being came from nothing and yet exist. God breathed, God worked, God moved and the word of God, as we read, uh, was there with the Lord bringing these things into uh, creation. Uh, The word there, for word, logos, the revealed word of God, but you notice in verse 1, it's uh, capitalised. In other words, it's not just a word, it's the word, Jesus Christ, in the very beginning with God himself. Uh, We're not going to dwell on those uh, verses there, but down in verse 14, we read, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And uh, I described last Sunday, and it just, it amazes me, and it's to me almost inconceivable, except you know it's miraculous. Can you picture the Word of God that brought everything into being crammed into a human life form, a body? But that's what happened when Jesus Christ was born. The whole word of God was just put into this one body, Jesus. 
the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And uh, they beheld those that were present, saw the Word of God living in front of them, moving about and acting as uh, only the Word of God can. Um, Just a little interesting fact in the Gospels. There's two terms used for Jesus' number, but two particular terms. The Son of Man and the Son of God. Which one's used the most? Who thinks it's the Son of Man? Who thinks it's the Son of God? A couple of hands. All right. Um, Would you be surprised if I said it's weighted 80 times to 5? And the Son of Man is used 80 times through the Gospels. The Son of God is used only on five occasions and all in the book of John. So Jesus, and I'm particularly talking about Jesus speaking of himself um, in this way, 80 times he referred to himself as the Son of Man. You might think, well, why did he do that? Well, he did it for a reason. He wanted to identify himself with us in human form. I'm born as a son of man. And yet he was the son of God and he was the word of God made flesh. Jesus, all of these things that uh, have been made. There's a a debate that often goes around. Um, Is Jesus half God, half man? No, he's fully God and fully man. Or he was when he was on the earth. He was made into a human form. The word of God was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Still the word of God, but in human body. Um, Let's move on to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there, which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. Mark chapter 1, we're in, and uh, just reading verse 1 to 5. Sorry, chapter 3, just reading verse 1 and 2 there. I just want to pause for a moment because the context is so important to understand at times. And... In my mind, (laughs) I've got a picture of Jesus and there's this man with a withered hand in front of him inside the synagogue and all around Jesus watching and looking and pointing, perhaps whispered voices, what's he going to do? It's a Sabbath day. Is he going to heal him? Was the message, all these people watching the scribes and Pharisees, if you like. And in verse 3, he says unto the uh, man which had the withered hand, stand forth. So perhaps he was sitting down somewhere, and Jesus says to him, and the words here in my margin says, arise, stand forth in the midst or in the middle. In other words, I want everybody to see you and what's about to take place. So all the religious people around the synagogue, who knows how many were there, and Jesus makes this man with a withered hand stand up 
in front of everybody to be seen, in the middle of them, so they can all see and witness what is about to happen. In verse 4, he says unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Jesus poses a question knowing that they wouldn't answer. Then in verse 5, it says, When he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he says unto the man, Stretch forth your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. A wonderful miracle took place, obviously, in front of everybody to astound them and prove the miraculous ability God had and that through Jesus these miracles would take place. There's another aspect to this that as much as they uh, were all watching to see what Jesus would do, fancy accusing somebody of healing in the name of God on the Sabbath day. Who actually performed the miracle? Jesus? No, it was God. Through Jesus. And yet they're critical of him for healing on the Sabbath, finding fault and reason to accuse the Son of God, the Son of Man. In verse 5 though, I just want to look at Jesus' reaction. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Just think about those words. Have you ever looked at those words and just pondered? Thought about Jesus' reaction? Have you noticed the words used? He looked on them with anger. Is that something you'd associate with Jesus Christ? Anger? That's what it says. We'll look into it a little bit more. And it says, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. So, two words, anger and grief, are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's really appreciate what it's saying, looking into it a little bit more. The word anger there um, is Greek word not sure how you pronounce it, orge or something, O-R-G-E. Um, it literally, through the Strong's Concordance, is brought out as desire and excitement of mind. In other words, internally becoming excited by what you're seeing. Um, so inside, Jesus Christ is getting worked up by what he's seeing. What's driving that? It's the hardness of their hearts. But to say that Jesus was not a man and was not moved inside by the passion that he had for his word, his truth, and on the other side, the hardness and rejection of that by these religious people, that's what Jesus was feeling inside at this time. Um, it goes on there, uh, or in this word anger, um, it means passion to have an ire, um, to have a justifiable abhorrence is actually brought out in the Strong's Concordance. So 
Jesus is quite emotional inside, if you like, as he's looking upon this situation as people are rejecting what he's doing. In um, the Vines Bible Dictionary, it brings out there's two words that are used for anger and wrath, which to us might seem quite similar. But thumos is the word that's used for wrath, and it's never translated as anger, whereas anger is this word, ujay, that is uh, um, used as anger or angry as we might know it, which is um, a slightly different word, but the same. I think it's the noun of the verb here. And they differ, they differ in this respect. Thumos indicates a more agitated condition of the feelings, an outburst of wrath from inward indignation. In other words, getting hot under the collar, as it were, and flaring up. But Perhaps it subsides um, fairly quickly as well, where this word orje suggests a more settled and abiding condition of mind, frequently with a view to taking revenge. And as a scripture that we might uh, think about, um, be ye angry and sin not. In other words, don't get worked up into this position of having an anger inside and looking to take revenge. It says, let not the sun go down on your wrath, thumos. In other words, if we get excited about some situation, um, then we're not looking to carry it and we're not looking to um, seek revenge ourselves. Vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. I will repay Neither give place to the devil, it says there. That's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Uh, and so if you're getting the picture here of what Jesus is doing, he's moved inside by the circumstances. Now, the word grief or grieved, as it's used here, uh, this is a word that means to be afflicted with grief together with a person. In other words, with them, not just grieved at them, but grieved with them. And uh, if you read the words here for the hardness of their hearts, it's like Jesus has a sympathy for their rejection. They're doing self-harm by the way in which they're behaving towards him. You follow that? And, and so Jesus is grieved for that purpose with the hardness of their heart. Now, what amazes me, and this is what's unique about Jesus as a man, is that he channeled all of that and directed it all into praying for this man and him being completely healed. It didn't bubble out in another way. He didn't display anger towards others. It was something very much inside him, but he put it to work in the healing that then took place and let God be glorified and hopefully people be persuaded. And yet we know, as the scripture says, um, though one be risen from the dead, yet will they not believe, even though they would watch it with their very eyes 
it would not convince some. Such is the hardness of people's hearts. Um, Turn to another example in John chapter 11. That's not the only example of what we're talking about concerning Jesus, his humanity, but how he overcame it. John chapter 11 in verse 4. So it's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. We don't have time to read it all. I'm just going to pick out a few verses. In verse 4 it says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I just want to make a point of observation in this particular um, uh, passage that we're reading here. Who can recall how many days from the time that Jesus heard about Lazarus dying to when he actually raised him from the dead? (laughs) I've got all sorts of hands. How many? It's four. Okay. (laughs) Now, uh, we read that, uh, where do we read that? He says he was dead four days. Uh, yes, that's right, sorry, verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already, so dead or buried four days. Maybe it was five days that he died if you had another day um, uh, to the funeral or something. Anyway, um, so Lazarus is well and truly dead um, at this stage when Jesus finally comes to him. Um, but just take hope in that Time is not uh, an inhibitor to God in his promises. We we might look at time and we might look at um, situations in our own lives and we might say, oh, why hasn't God done this in my life yet? And think about as we go through this story, Jesus and what he encountered and yet he remained confident. In um, verse 11, it says, These things says he, and after that he says unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Down in verse 20, it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. You're to blame. If you'd been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. You would have healed him. Now all hope's gone. He's dead. That's effectively what Martha is saying. It wasn't going to happen unless... Jesus had come before he died. Um, There's other aspects, so we don't have the time to go through it all. But down in verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. And I just picture in Jesus' mind, I know this isn't what he said, but, oh no, here we go again. Because the same words are being used. Mary is now saying the same as Martha. Now, this is where we want to look at Jesus' response. In verse 33, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, 
which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And this is Jesus' reaction. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Anyone ever looked at that word groaned to see what it means? It doesn't just mean to groan. Why would you groan? What moves you to? No, it's, it, it might, that might be the outward reaction that might be seen, but the word means, it's a long word, embrimayo mahi. Um, picture a horse snorting with anger. Now, I'm not going to try and make the sound. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, do it justice. But that's what it means. A horse snorting with anger is the literal meaning of the word. Um, with men, it means to fret, be painfully moved, to express indignation against, or another way of expressing it is to sigh with chagrin. You understand that? Um, and this word uh, chagrin means annoyance or embarrassment caused by failure or disappointment. In other words, Jesus is groaning inside by what people are saying. Martha firstly, Mary now, and the Jews that are gathered because it's disappointing him that this is what they think as a lack of belief in what he is capable of doing. It also adds the word troubled. Uh, the word troubled there, terasso, means to agitate, to cause one inward commotion, to take away his calmness of mind, make restless, render anxious or distressed. Such is the feeling that Jesus had towards them at this time. In verse 34 it says, he said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now this word wept um, is a word, uh, dacruo, to shed tears. It's the only time it's used in the Bible that impresses Ben. Um, and it's not as it might be used or as shedding tears might be used in other ways. Keep your finger here, we're going to come back to it, but turn back to Luke 19, just to illustrate. Jesus did actually shed tears as an emotion or an expression. Uh, we pick it up in verse 41. It says, When he was come near, he beheld the city, this is Jerusalem, and he wept over it saying, if you had known, even you, at least in this your day, the things which belong unto your peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that your enemies shall cast a trench about you and compass you round about around and keep you in on every side. And without going on, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which Jesus foresaw and knew was going to take place, and he wept over it for the hurt and pain that he knew was coming. Go back to John chapter 11. So when we read here of Jesus wept, Jesus weeping in this instance, 
it's in a very different context to moved about uh, with what he saw. Um, where were we going to? Verse 37. It says, And some of them said, Could not this man which had opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Not again. It's the same words, isn't it? Three times these words are spoken to Jesus in verse 38. Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Now again we see this word groaning being used. Um, and uh, it has the same meaning as it does back in verse 33. Jesus again feeling this inside him as to his feeling towards them. In verse, uh, where are we, verse 40, Jesus says unto her, Said I not unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Verse 43, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus says unto them, Loose him and let him go. Again, the description that we get given is Jesus containing all of this emotion inside him and again just directing his actions to fulfilling the will of God and actions that glorify God as opposed to an action or words that in some way may discredit God. And yet they had no reason to accuse him because of what he said or did because all he did was raise Lazarus from the dead even though we're given indication about what he's actually feeling inside him. Uh, let's go on to another passage. John chapter 12. It's pretty close by. And this is an introduction into the next passage we're going to look at. In verse 24, Jesus spoke about himself and says, Verily, verily, whenever you read those words, take notice of what's about to be said. It's important, is what it means when verily used twice together. It says, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And Jesus is speaking about himself, a seed going into the ground that needs to die and only through its death and then germination, new life coming forth, can new life be produced as took place and we've experienced. I don't know how that affects you in your car. Um, so that seems to be the indication as we read here of what Jesus is speaking about. Down in verse 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Now, what we're reading here is Jesus again having emotion inside, feelings. Uh, that word troubled is that word terasso, to agitate, cause him with commotion, take away calmness of mind, make restless, anxious, 
distressed. Jesus looked at the hour that he was going to, his death, his crucifixion that he knew because he knew exactly how he was going to die and he was troubled by it. And yet, he says, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. And on he went from there. God actually spoke to him uh, in response at this time. Turn up to Matthew 26, or back to Matthew 26, and verse 36. There's then come uh, Jesus, comes Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and says unto the disciples, Sit you here while I go and pray yonder, with James and John. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then says he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Um, Now, lots to go through here, but in verse 37, we read two key words. First one is to be sorrowful and very heavy, these two words. The word um, to be sorrowful, to be grieved, to be made sorry, to be sorrowful, very heavy, it means to be troubled, much distressed, anguished. And this might shock you, it's the strongest of three words the Strong's Concordance brings out, signifying depressed. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. So Jesus had these feelings in his mind, anguish that he was going through. In verse 38, Then says he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. So this word is an expansion of that word sorrowful and uh, it means um, all over sorrowful, which adds an intensity. It means to overcome with sorrow so much that it could actually cause one's death. That's what Jesus felt in that moment. Really interesting to observe how Jesus reacted. Let's carry on. In verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he comes unto the disciples and finds them asleep and says unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, your will be done. See the subtle change in his words? First time, he's saying, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And now he's saying, if this cup may not pass from me, your will be done. In other words, I know I've got to do it. He's being strengthened. In verse 43, He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then comes he to his disciples and says unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
Rise, let us be going. Behold, it is at hand that doth, he is at hand that does betray me. And on he went. Jesus came to the precipice and looked over the cliff, as it were, of saying, do I have to go through with this? And yet he knew he did, and he did. And he strengthened himself through prayer. As we read, he came to Gethsemane, where he prayed. And he prayed on these three occasions, seeking the Lord, and in doing so, gained the strength he needed then to go and face what he had to do. Jesus still had to compete with that emotion, the anger, not anger, sorry, the emotion inside him of, do I have to do this? And the anguish that he felt, and yet he overcame it and went on to uh, give up his life. Turn up to Hebrews chapter 2. What does all this mean? There's a few points. Hebrews chapter 2. One aspect of it here in verse 9. It says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, always feel like breaking out in song when I read this verse, uh, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings in all that Jesus went through for us. Down in verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behoved uh, him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succour them that are tempted. What a wonderful message the Lord gives us in his own suffering, in his own anguish, in dealing with the things that he did and overcoming and not letting the flesh get the better of him, but responding perfectly in each and every occasion of those that we've read, Jesus becomes the captain of our salvation perfected through the sufferings that he went through. And yet he willingly did each of that each of those on each occasion that we've read, and there are others, to demonstrate that he overcame the flesh. He didn't let it get the better of him, as we so easily can at times ourselves. There's much we could go through in here, but verse 17 sums it up. It says, In all things it behoved him, or put him under obligation to be made like unto his brethren as flesh and blood, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest 
in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. In other words, he is compassionate to have understood what we've gone through and to demonstrate how to overcome and pave the way for us and make it possible that we can overcome as well through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us, destroying, as it says in verse 14, the power of death um, that is in the devil, and destroying him that had power of death, I should say, that is the devil. But uh, uh, Jesus Christ has destroyed that power that has no effect on us today. There's a couple of other things I just want to go through. Um, go back uh, just in mind to Mark chapter 3 and you think about Jesus and the anger that he had um, towards them, that uh, particular type of anger that he felt towards the people there watching as he healed the man with the withered hand. And there's many injustices in this world that we face on a daily basis. Um, I was talking to Pastor Chris Jose only yesterday about this new law in Victoria, you know the one, and uh, and we're just talking about, you know, there will be a time perhaps somewhere in years to come where we may get accused of breaching that particular law. Does it change what we do? Absolutely not. We still preach the gospel. We still pray for people. We still want to be there to direct and guide people to follow the Lord and to be able to worship in spirit and in truth. And we won't change what we do. But the world is upside down. Uh, what is supposed justice, and sometimes, of course, it's uh, introduced by well-meaning people who want to cut out the extremes, but we get caught up in it quite often because there are uh, others that might use such laws to uh, find ways to attack the church. And we've just got to be wise, as we've spoken about, but we know that there's a lot of injustice, and we personally can be caught up in it, where we feel wronged by somebody else. And uh, we can get bent, words I've written down here, we can get bent out of shape in the way that we see things, but to what purpose? doesn't glorify God. Jesus had this complete conviction his purpose was to glorify God by his actions and by his words. And it's a good um, guide to us as well. In John 11, where we looked at um, uh, at uh, Lazarus and the situation there, um, I mentioned about um, don't lose hope. Now, Jesus went through a situation there where he could have turned around at the end and said, what's the point with this lot? But he didn't. He kept on talking to them and eventually calling Lazarus out of the grave, performing the miracle. Don't give up on what God can do just because we're surrounded by belief today. Jesus never did. And I know today sometimes we can think, Thoughts like, well, um, what's the point of going outreaching? Nobody listens. Well, we wouldn't be here today if somebody didn't speak to us. We've got to keep preaching the gospel. Don't fear people. Um, they can't hurt you. All they're doing is speaking words. And uh, all we can do is just keep preaching the gospel, knowing that there are those that want to follow the Lord somewhere.
and that God will direct us to them. And uh, as we read in Matthew 26, Jesus um, wanting this cup to be taken from him, and I don't think that's actually what he meant, he just, I don't really want to have to go through it in the flesh because I know it's going to be painful. Um, so sometimes in life we think life is unfair. Maybe we've been dealt a bad hand in life, in all that we're suffering. And no one suffered like Jesus Christ. And yet he overcame even the death of the cross. And it just reminds us that life doesn't always give us what we expect, but we are overcomers in the Lord. And all the people said, and all the people said, we're overcomers. That the power of God is inside us through the Holy Ghost. Every situation that we face, we can get through. God is there to hold us up and will hold us up and we'll be overcomers. Hebrews 4, just to finish. Verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I mentioned there earlier um, that Jesus even experienced, perhaps momentarily, depression and what it felt like. He's experienced everything we go through in our lives and he overcame it. And I put myself in his shoes mentally to try and think, what would it be like knowing everything that was about to happen and you've lived with that knowledge for 33 years and eventually you know that day is about to come. Could you go through with it? Wow. Jesus did. He didn't hold back. And we're told here, as a result, that He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That word there, sympathio in the Greek, to be affected with the same feeling as another. Jesus knows everything we go through, everything we experience in this life, but he's also demonstrated all of it is overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. He had it and he's given it to us after his resurrection. This same passage here, these two verses in the, in the Amplified Bible, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. Therefore let us, with privilege, approach the throne of grace that is, the throne of God's gracious favour, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in a time of need an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. Praise the Lord. This is what we have in the Lord. I just want to make a point in finishing. Jesus is the only one that's perfect. 
In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples just before he leaves. And he says about them in verse 6, they have kept your word. They have kept your word. Were they perfect? Were the disciples perfect? Absolutely not. Don't have any doubt, please. The disciples weren't. Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offence unto me. Um, that's the words he spoke to Peter. The disciples weren't perfect, but they kept his word. There might be momentary deviations in which we struggle, but we've got to get back on track, keeping the word of God. And the same message is for us. When Jesus Christ returns, we've kept his word. We overcame, we followed the example, we walked in Jesus' footsteps and we make the Lord near and all the people said, Amen.